Everyone's a fruit and a nutcase. It keeps you going when you toss the cable up. Whatever you are doing, punting, canoeing, is nutritious and pretitious to judiciously be chewing. Happy Sunday, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Museum of Comedy podcast. This week's guests, presented by the Museum of Comedy and Robert Ross, are Michael Palin and Terry Jones. I'm delighted to be joined by two of my absolute all-time comedy heroes and living legends, Mr. Terry Jones and Mr. Michael Palin. So, thank you and good night. Thank you, Michael. Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> it was a good evening. <laughs> so, um, if you're lucky enough to be in the audience, and a lot of people are here today, um, we've just watched an episode. I'm going to hold this. This is... Always the same these things. There we go. Just watched an episode of the complete and utter history of Britain, um, which Mike you mentioned before was really the the last step on the road to Python for you and, mm. and Terry. Yes, I mean it, it, we. Uh, I mean, I suppose all the Pythons kind of met up during the Frost Report in 1966. Yes, yeah. and then we went our, our various ways, and John and um, Graham wrote uh, last the 1948 show which was brilliant, and we did Do Not Just Your Set, which was equally brilliant. And we kind of, <laughs> and it, we were sort of, we were in the same area of comedy, I think, throughout that time, and kind of eyeing each other up and saying, quite like the way you write, or quite like the way you write. And, uh, yeah, um, we did uh, the, uh, the no, no, the, we did the um, Do Not Adjust Your Set. With Eric Idle and, uh, and Terry Gilliam. And, yeah, uh, and, and David Jason and Denise Coffey yeah. were appearing. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I must say, it's actually Eric Idle's birthday today. He's not it here. It is. Oh, yes. <laughs> so happy, yeah, happy so birthday, Eric. Yeah. Oh, well, happy, happy birthday. Happy birthday, yeah. But do you it doesn't think... look it, does it? <laughs> Do you, do you think it was almost like the, the sort of the, the Frank Sinatra syndrome about John Cleese seeing you two guys doing work of that quality, thinking, hello, they're going to storm ahead of us a bit and, and then thought to bring you together, maybe? No. I don't know. I don't think it cynical? was... I don't I think you're being cynical. Well, you're being sort of... You're, you're looking for logic, really, where there is no logic. Yeah. Um, I'm not quite sure. I know that... Um, well... You might remember, but but um, John and Graham were being asked to sort of write films for David Frost, uh, and David Frost's company was called Paradigm Productions, and and there was some problem. I know they didn't really, they didn't, either didn't like the contract, didn't like the deal, but they didn't want to do that. So they wanted to try and get to, to do something different, and I think they saw a comedy series for the BBC as being a way out of that. Um, and I don't know why Marty and Tim weren't approached first. I mean, they've been fantastic on the last, last 48 show, but for some reason, John rang us up and said, why don't we get together with your, as, as Terry has said, Terry Gilliam and, and Eric and Terry and, and, and make that the group. And I don't know why that was exactly. Well, Marty got his own show, and you've been writing yeah. for that, and so had Mike, so, so he, he got his own... BBC show. Yeah. Marty point. was Marty was way he'd become a star by then and, and was about to go to America, I think. And yeah, yeah. yeah. he became very big. He's quite small, but he became <laughs> very big. And uh, I, I, sh I should plug. I've, I've written a biography of Marty Feldman, so I have some copies about me. Stop me and buy oh. one yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you want. Um, but uh, it's, it's so very it, good. Uh, thank it, you, Terry. Good. <laughs> 
it's, it's okay. Yeah, no, um, it is very good. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Um, so um, so let, let's take you right back to, obviously, you met at Oxford University. Um, yeah. Um, do, 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 was, there, was there an instant bromance, Terry, when you saw Mike? <laughs> <laughs> well, I saw Mike uh, doing cabaret in uh, all the... Um, in the uh, Smokers um, at Oxford. And, um, and he, he was doing with, with a... Robert Hewson? Robert Hewson, yeah, yeah. Robert was someone I'd met in my um, first day, actually. He was in my same history set, and we, we liked comedy, and we, we liked Peter Sellers particularly. There was Songs for Swinging Sellers, and Spike Milligan, Milligan Preserved. And it was, yes, it was Robert who encouraged me to go and yeah. perform comedy, yeah. and that's where you must have seen me. Yeah. And... Um, so your first impressions of seeing him on stage? Well, uh, actually, you were doing the two policemen in Professor Turan. Oh, that's right, yes. Because that was a serious bit of acting, because Terry yeah. was a serious actor at the time. Yeah. You wouldn't believe it, but... Yeah. <coughs> he, was, he, he was sort of destined for great things. Yeah. No, you, you, you were playing Professor Turan, and we, were, yeah. we played small part. Good, I, yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean... So, Robert Hewson, you were writing stuff with him at the time, were you, or, or, or just working with him? On yeah, stage? we were writing, we wrote a half-hour um, uh, uh, sort of cabaret. Mm. That was it. And the first one, Robert, Robert was very keen on the idea of cabaret. I didn't really, it was all a bit sophisticated for me, coming from Sheffield. I don't know what cabaret was. <laughs> he said, oh, you can have, we have half an hour in the middle of, not, of a college ball or, a, you know, or some, some entertainment. They want, you know, the time for the band to change over. You come in and do your half-hour. And he, he said, don't worry, I'll get, you some, I'll get you some good work. And the first job he got was the Oxford University Psychological Society Christmas Party. <laughs> that was the first time ever performed for money. Yeah. He received in total silence. <laughs> but very appreciative silence. They all said after this, that was very good. Uh, yes, yes. Lot, lot to think about there. <laughs> oh, this comedy isn't easy. <laughs> So you went to Oxford to read English, didn't you, Terry? Yeah. And, Mike, you were reading history. history. Modern history. You did, actually, yeah. you did actually do some work, didn't you, rather than just um, lark about. I oh, know you did. But. Yeah, well, well Terry is, oh, I think Terry's got scholarly ambitions. Terry was brighter than me, I think. Yeah. Weren't you, Terry? Well, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> well, you were keen. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean... But I, uh, I was a bit... I've been writing some academic articles... Um, on, on history and um, I've changed over to history before. Oh, that's um, right, you did, yeah, yeah. yeah. Having conquered English. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thought, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, we just did, I, I remember doing it in the evenings just to get your essay in and all that. Unfortunately, I had a, a really nice tutor who realised quite early on that I was not going to be a great um, intellectual historian or anything like that. And he encouraged my acting it's very nice of him, really. He said, yes, you should do more acting, yes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't add it's your only way of getting out of this place. But he was very nice, very encouraging guy. Do you have encouragement, Tal? Um, yeah. Teddy Hall? <laughs> Not recently, but... Um, <laughs> so, so, Mike, you mentioned you were a fan of, of Peter Sellers. Did you have sort of comedy heroes uh, growing up, Tal? No, no. <laughs> well, Buster okay. Keaton. I, actually, Buster oh, yeah. Keaton, really, was my... Um, uh, Star, um, why? Uh, why? He was sorry. I'm doing you... your job. I just, uh, you know, <laughs> when in doubt, say why. It's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. But he he did such fantastic uh, films. Um, he uh, battling Butler and uh, 
uh, Steamboat Bill Jr. Mm. was uh, very good. And um, uh, uh, the general is probably the general. Yeah, the, the, I can remember you saying because why well, I asked why because you, you you didn't like Chaplin much. Was yeah, rather, no. And, and everyone was sort of saying, oh, Chaplin is the, the king, and Buster Keaton. People knew less about him. And I remember Terry being really, really kind of. Um, uh, you know, sort of highly regarded Keaton. And, and, and you've very, just very been doing a documentary about Charlie Chaplin, so you've, you've yeah. succumbed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. He's really good, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you think um, Buster Keaton influenced your acting? Because you you're, you're, you're a very good mime, aren't you? Certainly in some of the Python stuff, you do some sort of slapstick mime performance. Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Well, I think you're good anyway. I think yeah. you, I, he, he influenced Buster Keaton. I think yeah. <laughs> sort of strange time. Do you want some water, Michael? Yes, I'll have some water. You can reach some. it. We've got so many glasses. Who else is coming <laughs> up? Need the arms of Mr. Mr. Tickle to get this. But, Thank uh, you. Okay. Right. Yeah. That's it. Cheers. Uh, um, cheers. Yeah. So, um, it's only plastic. I know. Oh, God. Well, you tell me it was water. I say, we, we, we need the money. We're looking. We're keeping this museum going. You see, that's why we do yeah, these things to keep, to keep the, the roof over our heads. But um, so, so your influences, uh, and you also were, were a collector of uh, old music hall seventy eight, weren't you? Tim? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I got Ronald Franco, and and he was um, he was he was did. Um, um, Sort of um, slightly risque uh, songs, and um, and uh, did that influence you at all? Yeah, yes. no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll find it somewhere. It's going it's to be there somewhere. Yeah. So, so when when you met, did you talk comedy, or, or was it literally just just going to the pub and having a few beers? And oh yeah, I mean we 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 obviously each had a sen good sense of humour. We made each other laugh. I remember Terry coming to. Um, Coming to see a play I was in at Oxford in my first year, and it was a very serious play called Fuente of Ajuna, set in the sort of um, middle of the 15th century, about freeing Spanish slaves and all that sort of stuff. It was very gritty. And I got the part of fourth peasant. Um, <laughs> oh, no, a fourth speaking peasant, that was. There were lots of other peasants who didn't even speak. There were four speaking peasants. And we did lots of exercises and sort of motivational studies and all that sort of thing. And the director, you'd think the director was doing, you know, Ham, the, the very latest Hamlet or something like that. And he really got us ready for it. He said, this is going to change Oxford theatre totally. And Terry was there on the first night. Now, when the peasants made their first appearance, we leapt on into the marketplace, as it was, and we were greeted with enormous rounds of laughter. And I thought, what's, you know, what have we done? Have we got flies on that? <laughs> Check that, all that. Anyway, it turned out that there was a sort of wishing well, uh, not a wash, uh, sorry, washing well on the side of the stage on which the women of the marketplace were being, were, were sort of sat, and it was wound on. And they wound on like this, and they were all washing away, and someone didn't stop the motor, and it went straight off again. <laughs> so that started the laughter, and then it sort of jerked on again, and then they came, by that time they bounced steady, and one of them fell down the well and all that. And, well, you were there, Terry. Yeah, Remember Terry yeah, I was afterwards there. saying that was the funniest single thing he'd ever seen in Oxford, you know, it was the most serious play. So I thought, this is a man I can work with. And did they keep it in the next night? And that could have been, you know, comedy gold. <laughs> no, the next night was disappointingly serious. Yeah. yeah. If there was a next night, I don't remember. And I think I'm right in saying the first sketch you wrote together was known as the slapstick sketch, the, the sort of basically the lecture of, of the history yeah. of slapstick. Was that yeah. the very first one? Yes. We, we, we wrote that with Robert Hewis and, and, um, and uh, it was a, a demonstration of uh, slapstick. And, 
done very po-faced, yeah. which has been done, it's been seen in the Amnesty show, first of all, I think, and of course in Python stage shows. Yeah. yeah. So I was going to say, maybe we mentioned before about the uh, life, uh, uh, sorry, computerized history of Britain, and, and, and John and, and Graham were doing their own show together. Um, it is very Python, a lot of that, isn't it? If you, if you see the, you know, trying to sell Stonehenge and those sort of sketches, I mean, that could have been mm -hmm. in Python the, 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 the yeah. year later, quite easily. So, I mean, I, I don't see much difference. Do you see a difference in what you were writing for Python as what you were writing pre-Python? Well, I mean, I, I don't see a great difference in the material. Mm. I mean, we've been writing that since university days, really. I mean, we were, I suppose we were honing it a bit, but it was actually the form of the way it was presented. This was very much sketch you know, beginning, middle, tagline, you know, uh, and, the, you know, whatever it was, the monster has a day off on Thursday or whatever it was. You don't need things like that. And we, it was a form of Python, wasn't it, really, yeah, that no, changed it. And that, changed. that was, yeah. well, you, you, you were more, you were more sort of instrumental in deciding yeah, on that. I'd, I'd thought that um, I was wanting to blend the, uh, the sketches and, um, and, uh, I, I, I thought of uh, 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 Terry Gilliam's animation could blend the uh, sketches together, and, um, and it did. Yeah. It certainly <laughs> worked. It was sort of like, I mean, Terry <clears throat> Gilliam's way of putting the material together was a stream of consciousness, wasn't yeah, it? Just yeah. in these little three minutes, all sorts of weird things happened. And that was a, that was a, real, a real key, to, I think, <clears throat> to the way we, we put Python together. I mean, there are still, especially in the early shows, a lot of traditional sketches and mainly written by John and Graham. They were terrific, you know, but they did still had taglines. But it began to break up and fragment and be sillier. And I remember moments where we turned this whole set off halfway through the show. Just that little button and the light went, you know, when, they, when you turned the set off. And Busey said, you can't do that. Because everyone in the country will think, you know, we've broken down or something <laughs> like that. And we'd run the credits at the you know, in the middle upside down yeah. and all that sort of thing, or Italian, Swedish. We had a thing about Swedish, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah, that, seeing that yeah. Swedish little... Yeah. And uh, Diana Quick, who plays the uh, damsel in distress, was Oxford as well, wasn't she? Yeah, she was yeah, yeah. Mm. Was there any... I mean, did, did you pick, for example, Carol Cleveland? Where did, where did she come from in terms of Python? Because obviously <coughs> she wasn't known to you pre the show, I don't, I don't well, think. Well, she was um, <coughs> in the, in the uh, marriage counsellor. Yeah, yeah. She was... The, and then she was wonderful in the marriage guidance counsellor. So she was just... Uh, Big busty, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> wonderful great tracks yeah. of land, yeah, yeah, yeah. huge <laughs> tracks of land. And <clears throat> she was, I think, she was probably came with Ian McNaughton, who's the director. I mean, yeah. there was sort of. <clears throat> uh, I don't think we chose Carol actually. I think I she was just there was a pool of very good sort of um, women around who were funny, but didn't have, didn't have their own show. Of course, in those days, it wasn't uh, quite as common as it is now. But she just made her mark. She just felt she approached things the way we did, really. Yeah. Because you, you've been on a BBC director's course, haven't you, Terry? Or you've been certainly... Um, oh, right, yeah. Not headhunted, <laughs> but, but, but approached by Frank Muir, or, or you'd gone to Frank Muir to, yeah. to get a job at the BBC. So you, you'd had a bit of technical savvy, hadn't you, really, pre... Yeah, this, I, 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 Frank Muir uh, invited me in to... Uh, I, I, I don't know why he invited me in, um, but to... Uh, and said, he said I could have a, a desk in the uh, in the office and uh, and uh, um, and uh, next to uh, uh, what's the name? 
Um, that, that's John Richard, Law. Richard, no, I know. Yeah, John Law. John yeah, Law. yeah, John Law. And um, and uh, I I took off from there. Really, you, know. you, you were writing, and so you, Mike, you were writing for people like Roy Hudd and Ken Dodd. Yeah. And well, this was the thing: is Terry, uh, Terry was Terry was salaried in a yeah. proper office. I didn't, and I just used to come in, and. What we had to do was occasionally write, there would be a panic. Oh, you know, the Russ Conway show's on tonight and he hasn't got an opening gag. Who's so, who's so humble and servile in this department and get them to write for Russ Conway? Oh, Jones, yes, you do it. Who's that man who's always scuffling in here to get a cup of tea? Paling? Get him to do it. So we had to do that, but really, Terry and I were kind of thinking about our own things yeah. Um, all the time. And we actually did, do you remember we did a series of birds with John Bird and John oh, right. Fortune? Yeah, right. They're very interesting shows that, yeah. and we were brought in to script edit, even at that young age. Yeah. And you mentioned the Frost Report, that was mm. lots of really good uh, writers on that, wasn't it? And, and David Frost was, how, how did you find David Frost as, as a boss? Um, well, I, I mean, I, <laughs> no, 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 great. <laughs> I think the, the thing about David was, was first of all, if it hadn't been for him, I think, coming up to see the, the show in Edinburgh that we were in in 1964, yeah. which was a very important show for us, the Oxford Review, Edinburgh Festival, 1964. It was a good show, but Frost came up to see it, and he was talent spotting, you know, which is good for him. No one else of his stature bothered to come up to the festival. And two years later, he gave us a job as writers. But as writers on the Frost Report, you were, uh, you know, it's about sort of 70 writers... And David Frost, and it used to, at the end, it would say, written by David Frost, and... <laughs> and the roller catch went through so fast that my mum and dad never got to see my name till about show 10. But he was, you know, he, he, it was a good show. He yeah, gave yeah. us a, an opportunity to work with very, very good and people. They laughed at the, all the uh, quickies we did, all the... Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, John Law would give you like a theme, wouldn't he, for that particular episode, like law or, um, I don't know, health service or something, and you'd work around that given theme, wouldn't you? Yes, it was, it was quite oh, uh, advanced. Uh, it's, um, it's uh, what's his name? Tony Jay. Tony Jay. Tony Jay, actually. Was, Tony Jay. Law was on the writers. He wrote the class sketch. Uh, yeah, but um, yeah, Tony Jay, who was a friend of David's, and he, he would have these kind of fairly intellectual concepts about what it should be about, yeah, the mm, establishment, yeah. uh, defence, all these things. And we, we would then go away and write, look in our books, see what silly jokes we had that came anywhere near to this description and would send them in. But it was, a, it was a very good team. And it was the first time that these three performers, two Ronnies and John, had been really seen on television. It was CDM amazing. CDM it was. Um, ah, yes. Continuous um, uh, developing monologue. Yeah. Yeah, that's what, yeah. Cadbury's Dairy Milk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you say you send it in, you wouldn't actually go and, and perform it, say, and say, look, this is what we've just written this morning, and it would be like a... No, a, we okay. sent it in. Send it in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, unlike Python, where you know, obviously we performed each other's material, no, Frost Report, you didn't. You, you just brought it in, and then it was all collected together. I think that was the way, wasn't it? We, did we read it out or something? Well, we might have occasionally yeah, we, read it out, but really it was the first yeah. scene when the cast did it. And Barry Cryer was also there at that time yeah. as a sort of a yeah. head boy in a way, wasn't he, really, I suppose? Who, who was 80 last week? Just last week. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's all birthdays today, isn't it? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And there's more jokes than anybody else yeah. in the world, I think. So, so you, you saw a bit about how the BBC worked in a way, and... and uh, 
when did you decide to sort of turn from from writing and also writing and performing it? Was was that, obviously you did it on stage, but in terms of television? Sorry. When did you start <laughs> performing on television? Were you were you doing yeah. bits for? Well, it was in do, those not, early days? do not adjust your set, really. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we did little performances. We used to occasionally appear in the Frost Reports, doing our own little sketches. And yeah. um, but uh, do not adjust your set. 1967 was the first time we we actually performed on telly. And Humphrey Barclay, who was the producer of Complete Nutter Histories, with that very nice plummy voice, did some voiceover that storm clouds are gathering. <coughs> and that's that's Humphrey. And he was, you know, he produced Cambridge Circus and all that. And he, he got together, I think he got you and Eric together, didn't he, for Do Not Just. I don't think I was in it to start with. And then yeah, I think you very kindly said you'd like to have your friend Michael. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah, I think it's true. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm, I'm yeah. glad you did that. That, yeah. was, that was good because obviously that was that was that was you too and Eric and you mentioned David Jason and uh, yeah. Denise Coffey. Yeah. Uh, so, so, did you know Terry Gilliam at that time, or was or was that no? Um, we, no. Uh, Terry Gilliam is in the uh, second series of Python, and oh, no, no, do not adjust your set. Yeah, and uh, he came and uh, John introduced him uh, and said, uh, well. Um, it's, it's, he's doing animations, and um, uh, so... Yeah, it was... And I remember his girlfriend, most of all. I mean, yeah, he used to yeah. come... <laughs> they turned up at the uh, Rediffusion bar after we'd just recorded a show, and there was an incredibly sort of glamorous woman with him. And Terry was, had this great long coat and looked rather kind of, you know, West Coast. I don't mean Western Superman, I mean, you know, real West Coast. <laughs> Not like John Cleese. <laughs> But his girlfriend, Glenys, looked really cool, didn't she? She was yeah, a journalist or something. I remember thinking, oh, I hated him straight away. I <laughs> everything I wanted, but I don't know. But that was it. it, was our first. We were a little bit reserved towards him, but well, yeah. as soon as we shook sort of the animation. But, it, but uh, Eric, Eric was um, very f uh, keen on him. Yeah, mm. so we, so uh, Eric uh, got him to do the uh, elephants. And, yeah. Uh, and uh, the Christmas cards. Christmas card, yeah. yeah. Christmas card. Um, and uh, um, yeah. But it, it was a, it was a, essentially a children's show, wasn't it? Really. Uh, yeah, yeah. At, at the outset, you were smirking at me. No, I'm not smirking. <laughs> I mean, it was yes, but we were we were pretty well left to do what we wanted to do. And the great thing was that I think the Bonzo Dog Band, who were our musical interlude, and they did these fantastic things. Also, their songs were all sort of drug songs, really. It's all about <laughs> hallucinatory states and all that sort of thing. And yet it was all about, I'm clopping along the yellow path, and there's a great big tree. It's green, it's green, it's on my head, you know. And people say, how lovely. What a lovely children's song. <laughs> you know, Fifth Stanshaw out of his mind when he wrote it. So, but the, it did give us, it gave everything a bit of an edge, I must say. They were, we were so lucky to have them there. And, and, of course, Neil later did some work with us on the, Neil Innes on the stage tour. And he's... he's Still a very funny man. It's a whole sort of like a, a family tree of things, isn't it? There's lots of shows going on at the time, radio and stage stuff and TV, that, you, that leads to Python in a way. But do you yeah. think it was that call from John to you, Mike, that, that after episode six of uh, Complete and Utter History? Um, well, I think that was that, that was the start of it, I think. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and I said, yeah, well, let's get together. And it is, it is still quite remarkable because there's no particular reason why he should have gone with us rather than, I say, Tim or Marty or Barry Cry or whoever. But, um, you know, that, that, that's the way it was and we got together and for some extraordinary reason this little group kind of 
worked. And, and Barry Took was uh, at the BBC, wasn't he? He was like the sort of the, the, the head honcho there. I mean, how did you get on with, with Barry? Cause in a way, because you worked with Frank Newell, these were the old guard, weren't they, really? Mm. These, were, these were the great radio well, writers. Well, brilliant, yes. Things, I mean, they'd they? written fantastic amount of stuff, very funny stuff. Mm. Um, for, I mean, I, I, I remember Barry being... Uh, he, was, he was he was very keen on us actually us two. Yeah, Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. Barry quite liked our material. Barry saw took. Barry took. Yeah. And and thought there was some promise there. And in the end, he he was the one who went to the BBC. He wasn't. I don't think he worked there, Sarah. But anyway, he had enormous clout. So he said, "Look, I'll take you to the BBC, meaning the Pythons, and you know we'll, we'll find an office. We'll meet the head of comedy, and um, you can tell them what you want." Uh, but I don't say anything till I've introduced it, you know. Because <laughs> uh, he had a suit and he was quite smart and all that. So he did his bit. And then, then we were all asked what kind of show we wanted to do, you know. We hadn't, hadn't a clue. We just knew it wanted to be different from anything that ever been done before. We didn't have a title. We didn't have any music or anything like that. And then this extraordinary thing happened. At the very end of our little interview, Michael Mills, who was head of comedy at the time, stood up and said, all right. I'll give you 13 shows, but that's all. <laughs> you know, oh, imagine that nowadays. Just, but that's all? That, that'll do us fine. And we were relegated to late on Saturday night, taken Ooh. off whenever a show overran, another BBC show overran, but it enabled us to kind of develop Ooh. quietly under the radar without yeah. BBC really bothering to notice what we were doing. It's a funny thing. It's a sort of love-hate thing with the BBC. I mean, the is the amazing thing, but they, but they almost run it like a like a gentleman's club in a way, didn't they? It was a very strange sort of situation, particularly in those days when it was run by ex-army people and that sort of things. But but they gave you those... It's Tom Sloan was uh, ex-army. Oh, yeah. 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 He was the one who said, what was it? Um, Till death us do part, but only go out over his dead body. <laughs> uh, which it did, actually. I think he was very, <laughs> was very successful, um, which is an extraordinarily selfless act on his part. <laughs> Don't the name of comedy. <laughs> so, so, so you got these... quite hierarchical, yes. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But I mean, I mean, was there a sense that, that you know, once you're in there and you were doing the sketches, did, did you feel that they they um, undermined what you were doing, or they just let you get on with it, really? Yeah, they let us get on yeah. with it. Yeah, I mean, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh... I mean, the BBC were they're very confident then. They they ran television really. It was ITV, and that was the only other channel at the time. Well, BBC Two had just started, so they could afford to. You know, just let people have their you know head and go off and do what what they wanted. You weren't wasn't nowadays when managers and management would be keeping an eye on you all the time, and accountants and all that. Yeah. So so you what did you do? The six of you sat down and panicked that you've got six and a half <laughs> hours of television to film. Uh, yeah. How did how did you get away from that that well, blank page? We, we felt joyful about it. Yes. 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 Yeah. It was a joyful panic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's a, you know, it's a terrific opportunity. We just went away and all wrote material. Terry yeah. and I were writing and John and Graham were writing together and Eric on his own, Terry and Gilliam on his own. We'd all get together, uh, you know, at the end of a few days and read the material out. And, and we knew from the beginning there's some really, really funny things in there. Um, and, you know, the writing sessions, I remember around at your place, Tell, you know, it was kind of very... They were great. They were so hilarious. Sometimes the material would be coming out so fast. If you were the one who'd been deputed to go make the coffee, you missed out <laughs> entire sketches and entire half the development of Monty Python and all that. So, 
So you had to get uh, the good days that were crackled along with real electricity. I'm going to throw it to the audience later, and I'm sure there'll be lots of Python questions, so I'm going to move around Python in, in, in a way. But um, come, come Series 3, you, you were breaking away from writing sketches, and you did the, the cycle tour, which was a, a mm. self-contained yeah. half hour, really. Yeah. Uh, that, that was you too, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was that was that a, a, a difficult thing to, to get away with within the group as a as a as a self-contained half-hour piece, really? Well, I think by that time people were just glad to have a half-hour show. Yeah. Written. <laughs> you know, John was very much distracted writing other stuff, and he wasn't writing. I don't think he was writing as much with Gray, was he? Yeah, no. At that time, no. But I think people quite yeah they, they went along with it. I don't think it was a hard sell. Yeah, no, it wasn't a hard sell. Yeah. And I suppose off the back of that, then, then Ripping Yarns was, was the natural step forward to, away from the sketch yeah. format to, to, to do that. And how, how did that series come about? Because that, as, a, as a kid in the 70s, that was my all-time favourite TV show. I adored that programme, yeah. and it's still wonderful today. So. Mm. Well, <laughs> well, you wrote it. Well, it's a complex, it's a complex birth, because um, I don't know, a guy called Terry Hughes, who was BBC director, wanted, asked me if he could do a show a Palin show, and I said, well, I'd like to do it with Terry, and we'd like to, you know, I couldn't think, of, I didn't want to do a sort of light entertainment show, presenting singers and dancers and all that, I wanted to do something silly again, so we, we, um, we thought about what we could do, and, and Terry had a book called Ripping Yarns, I don't know how you got it, or whether yeah, I'd given it to you, and your brother, Nige, sort of saw this book and said, hey, you know, why don't you do, have, have think about that? And that's how yeah. Tompkins School Days, which was Tompkins and School Days, which was the first one we wrote yeah. together, that's, that's how we got written, based yeah. on that sort of style. I mean, then we thought, ah, this is different enough from Python. People aren't going to say, well, it's just sort of, you know, ordinary Python stuff. But anyway, that, I think that's how it began. And was it a conscious decision on your part, Terry, not to act in anything beyond that first uh, episode? Well, uh, <laughs> uh, Terry Hughes didn't let me act. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Rotten swine. <laughs> Did you write your, yourself parts then? I guess you did. Um, um, well, we just wrote them. I don't think the casting... We, we, we just wrote them first, and then the casting came after that. Uh, but there was a... Yeah, there was a sort of definite decision taken that, that we would not... If there were two pythons in it, it might look a bit like old Brump of Python yeah. and all that. But yeah, uh, it was uh, an awkward time. Terry Hughes, uh, I, I was interfering with the direction ah, of, yes. of things. So, so, so. He'd been on a director's course, that's yeah. the trouble. <laughs> yeah, that's the trouble. Yeah. Well, you yeah. directed Holy Grail by that point, so you had actually directed a feature <coughs> film yeah. uh, prior, so you were probably better qualified, yeah. I say. But, yeah, uh, no, I think the fact that yes. you and <laughs> you, the fact you and Terry could direct was why we... Really, why we made the transition from uh, <coughs> TV shows into films, which yeah. was really vital for the sort of longevity of Python. Sure, sure. I mean, and also you were doing the books and you were doing the records too. I mean, was was a? I mean, I'm not I'm not dissing the BBC because I adore the BBC, but but you certainly took control off your own careers in a way, certainly in Python yeah. terms, and did the records with somebody else and the films, obviously, with somebody else. Was that was that a, a feeling that the BBC couldn't quite contain you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the first, the first album was made by the BBC, and it was a best of. And it was just dull, you know, it was fine. Some of the stuff was good and, and then... Stuff, but, you know, 
by that time, we were also trying wanting to change things, and, and we wanted, you know, if you do an LP, let's make an LP that's quite different from any other. If we do a book, let's make sure it looks different from any other book. And, and I think the BBC were just, they were fairly conventional at the time. Didn't really come up with ideas. And also, I think the six of us were quite a stroppy group to work with. We all had ideas, all very strong on what we, what we wanted, and control of our own work was very, very important from very early on. Again, another thing that Terry was very strong about. And um, talking about uh, taking control, when they went to America as well, the shows were, were, were mucked about with and edited down and, and whatever, and you, and you went to no, America too. No, they went out and, and, uh, and pure. Originally, they went out on PBS, yeah, yeah. but then they were later bought by a commercial station, ABC Television, and they cut a lot of the stuff out. So there's two different yeah, issues. Yeah, okay. So, so why, why was that? Why, why, was, why was somebody decision made to, to edit them down and, and, and muck about with your, with your handiwork? <laughs> I don't know. They're stupid. <laughs> stupid, yeah. yeah. But they were a huge company. Um, I think they'd... The thing was that Python had, had got a great reputation in the States, very late and totally unexpectedly, as far as we were concerned, suddenly picked up on Dallas Public Broadcasting Station, of all places. And it did so well there that another public broadcasting station in some Baton Rouge or somewhere like that picked it up. And eventually it got to New York, didn't it? It went... Yeah. It was in the South first. And... What was good about it was it was public broadcasting. It was non-commercial. There were no cuts, and that's what people loved about it. And that's what the sort of the, the teenagers and the students loved about Python was that it was it was it was breaking the mold, you know. And it was just for them. And of course, ABC very late in the day say, "Hey, there's some money to be made out of this," and that's what was the motivation. They thought they could make money out of other people's enthusiasm. And of course, our, we were, what we were worried about was our fans would say, "Well, they've just sold out for money." And we are the only, I think the only people ever to go to court and sue a major American company to keep their product off American television. <laughs> I mean, you know, we fought ABC television and we won. Well, we won eventually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is it, is it, it's a strange question to ask, I suppose, but is it a, a, quite a weight to have on your shoulders? Because it's almost like being ex-Beatles, isn't it? The, 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 the quality of the work well, is... Like to, ooh, well, far, 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 we're, 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 we're less Beatle. money involved. Ooh, that'd be but, wonderful. Um, survival rate's ooh, less yes. if you're a Beatle. But um, if... <laughs> if um, because it's, it's worldwide and it's been around for 40 years, 40 plus years. And is, is it hard being a Python, is the question I'm trying to ask you. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> How do you do it, Terry? You just wake up in the morning and check yeah, you're I'm a python. You look yeah. at that picture on the wall, yeah. all there. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. It's, you don't kind of, I, doesn't, I don't think of it really as, as sort of being, and people say legends and all that, and I can't quite grasp that. I'm fine, it's great that we're still popular and fantastic that people are still laughing at the same thing, but I'm still such a... I'm still just as silly and mischievous as I was, I think, when we started writing the shows. Mm. Mm. And I'm always thinking, oh, you know, well, how can we make you know, the next thing better or whatever? Or Like with the stage show, the most important thing about that was not just to appear on stage and say, hey, we're here, everybody, isn't it wonderful? To make sure we did the show as well as we, as well as we would have done it 40 years ago. You know, it had to be, we had to be as committed and as energetic, and that was what worried me, but we did it. And so who who saw the show here? Anybody? 
Show of hands, oh, quite a lot, about, about a third or so, yes. It's good, wasn't it? Um, yeah, so I mean, but, but again, the, 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 the press were quite cynical when you announced the shows, um, and, and, you, and you, you blew them away because they were fantastic. I mean, does that hurt in a way that you're almost in this country, you're, you're set up there to be knocked down? <laughs> As Robert Ross lowers the tone and loses all comedy yeah, yeah, for the yeah, afternoon. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but, but I mean, well, I, I, I got really annoyed I mean, on your behalf because I was doing interviews about it, and they yeah. were just saying, "Well, they sh they're too old, and it's for the money." So, well, well, wait till they do it first of all. Well, the O2 shows. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, the journalists were being <laughs> no. really quite nasty about it before the shows. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we were we were sort of goading them a bit. It was huge hype, you know and everything had to be done. We had to have these international press conferences and all that. I just remember thinking, oh, God, you're going to fall an awful long way if you don't get this right. <laughs> and uh, I thought, on the whole, the press were quite reasonable to start with. Um, you know, the, the, I think when the sh one or two, when the first show went out, I was quite surprised, saying, oh, it's a bit boring. And then it kind of... After that, it just got gathered energy. Nobody... Ever, after that, everyone was, was pretty nice about it. But I think there's a certain amount of you know, um, and envy there, I suppose. that This is the back, I, to, the, back I, to the fans' I love doing the shows, I mean, the O2 yeah. shows. Uh, it's, the, the audience was so warm and friendly. I mean, you couldn't, couldn't fail to please them. I mean, when you, without spoilers, you must buy the Blu-ray and the DVD, but obviously when, when, when that TARDIS door opens and the five of you walked out, yeah. and a crowd of how many thousands of people went, ballistic and got to their feet. 16,000. 16,000 people. Well, that must have... I mean, how do you feel? It's a rock star mentality, isn't it, really? I mean. Oh, it's very good, you know. <laughs> Maybe you should invade Poland now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's what Terry said. It's the tremendous support. And you know that, basically, you're going to be OK provided you can give them what they, what they expect. It's going to be fun. I think that was the main thing. I thought this is going to be fun, and, and unless we completely blow it, this they're up for it, we're up for it. It's got to, it's got to work. So yes, stepping out is an extraordinary, extraordinary sensation because it just this went on and on really, and um, you all go on stage. And, and it's a real, real love in the room. And I must, I must now. It's got to at the time. Love when, in the room. Yes, there's lots of love in the room. Yes, love where in you, the room. Are you in the room, love? Um, yeah. <laughs> Have anybody got any questions for Mr. Michael Payne and Mr. Terry Jones here? Yes, right, there's a, right at the back there. Uh, Michael, hi. Um, gentleman mentioned ripping yarns earlier, which I've rightly said is an absolute classic. I was wondering, do you still support Barnston Worth? And um, <laughs> would, you, would you like to reintroduce the cross-country hop into public schools, if possible? <laughs> <laughs> well, I support Sheffield United, which is pretty much like <laughs> supporting Barnstonworth United, I tell you. Um, uh, well, I, I'm a great. Uh, they, they they have a, um, a team in the um, in the Australian league called Barnstormworth United. Um, in fact, they have two now. And uh, these guys asked, could they use the name? And we said, yeah, that's fine. And said, could you at the end of the year send us a message? And I so, so I you know I asked them how they got on. They said, oh, we've done very well. So I sent them a very stern message and said, this is not the spirit. They'd won most of their games. I said, you know, you're going to have to change your name at this rate. Um, but uh, yeah, yes, yes. It was, it was flattering that they were doing it, and, and nice that that's remembered. Any any plans? I mean, for, for you to to reunite and, and do some more. Possibly, come on. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no plans. Who knows? We'll talk to the BBC. We're later. sharing a taxi home. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's a good enough reason. Any more questions out there? Just the, right at the back row, yeah. 
Um, do you feel with the Pythons, um, I remember when they first came out, I was about 15 at the time, my father, who couldn't have been much more than 34, there was a massive generational thing that they just totally didn't understand it. Do you think that was quite a factor in it? Um, yes, I think so. I mean, um, uh, the older generation didn't understand the, uh, the comedy and... Uh, but it was also, I think it was a, there was a gender difference as well, because I remember lots of people, taxi drivers, saying, oh, I love your part. My wife hated it. <laughs> she hated it. So it was like there was no woman ever like Python. <laughs> but I think as soon as you get a small group of people who say they hate that show, and an equally small group of people who say they love it, then you're going to be all right. You know, you've got something happening there. There's something exciting going on. But it, it became that weird thing, a cult thing. I mean, it was getting... Good audiences for BBC Two, wasn't it? But it was a so BBC you want, One. But BBC, BBC One but was then, never on they, BBC Two. But then they repeated on BBC Two. The, the, the first series when they were going out. To no, it, I, think, I think it was no, always it was BBC always One until, until, until we did the fourth series. I yeah. think that went on BBC Two. That was just without John. But on TV, I mean, very if you, funny. By if you're on TV, very funny. But just just called Monty Python without the the fire yes. circus, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, but once you're on TV, I mean, you're not a cult anymore, are you? you you've got an audience of, of a lot of people watching you. So, so to, to, to try and differentiate between no women like it or no yeah, I know, I know. body but, under the age but of But I think the point was likes. that it did start off as being, you know, it, 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 very strong feelings one way or the other. And I think that was quite good for the show because a lot of people liked the, you know, the younger people liked it, the fact that their parents didn't like it. I mean, it's like me and... The goon shows, you know, I, I was really hoped my parents wouldn't walk in and I was listening to men and envy talking like that, you know, because I knew they wouldn't like it. And, uh, and yet it was my discovery. My, uh, uh, at lunchtime, we always listened to the goon show. And, and, mm. and my family was did. All of you? Yeah. Your dad and mum yeah. as well? Yeah. Really? Oh, that's interesting. Oh. Yeah. So for you, it was different. It was yeah. a... Intergenerational yeah. thing, yeah. and obviously, Spike Milligan would have been a lot older than you. I mean, he obviously was a wartime person, so born in the, just the end of the First World War. So, I mean, his his comedy brain was of yours, wasn't it? Like mine mm. to you. Yeah, well, is it is it true he wrote you a fan letter after the, the very first ripping yarn? Uh, and yeah, it vanished in within the BBC yeah. somewhere. Oh no, no, this was this is another story. This is okay. Spike did write a fan letter, the ripping yarns, and that wonderful print of his, you know, ripping arms, let's have more. But the, no, the, the fan letter story was George Harrison claimed that he had sent a fan letter to um, Python on the first night of the Flying Circus. And very few people really were, were, knew what was going on then. He'd written a fan letter and it never got to us. And of course the Beatles being as big as they were, so probably some guy in BBC security said, George Harrison, well, you know, I'm the Duke of Edinburgh, mate. That goes. <laughs> in, the, in the bin with that. And it wasn't it wonderful that later George was the one who saved life of Brian? Sort yeah, of got five yeah. million of his own, five million dollars of his own money to get the film going. And talking of the, of the clout of Python, I mean, obviously Terry directed Life of Brian, and that's often voted the, the funniest comedy film of all time. Mm. And, and you're very humble about that, Terry, because I mean, you, you sort of beat Buster Keaton in terms of, you know... <laughs> I mean, how does that feel, to be, to be considered the best comedy director of all time? No pressure. No pressure there. That T-shirt you have, I'm the greatest <laughs> I notice you're not wearing that this afternoon. <laughs> Because uh, you've got a new film coming out, this is what I'm saying. There's, there's yeah. a, new, a new film coming out with, yes, with uh, a few cameos from some close friends of yours, uh, too, in it. Yeah. So, um, 
absolutely anything. <clears throat> um, we're uh, uh, it's coming out in August, uh, July, August, and um, and um, which. Which? Which? July, August. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. I mean, I don't want to start queuing in yeah. July, but it's coming out at the end of August. You know? <laughs> um, and it's about uh, a school teacher who gets magical powers and can make anything happen. And the uh, aliens uh, intercept the uh, Voyager spacecraft as it leaves the solar system and say quite wrongly that it's in the intergalactic space. And, um, uh, uh, and um, they give him a, a intergalactic powers um, and uh, he could do... He waves his hand and he could do... It's a glow. And probably the funniest people in it you don't see, do you, Mike? <laughs> just trying, just trying, yeah. The guys well, playing the aliens. Oh right? yeah, no. It, we, uh, the pythons all do the aliens. Um, uh, the five pythons all do the aliens. Um, so. Um, and also, yeah, someone's last one, performance is playing, playing the, the voice of. I'm not giving spoilers away here, am I? But but um, um, Robin Williams. W Robin Williams. Yeah, it's the last performance he did on uh, film. He voiced Dennis the dog. Um, and uh, so it's... Um, it's very good. And it stars Simon Pegg, um, Kate Beckinsale, and uh, it's great. Out in, <laughs> out in July or August, we're yeah, not quite sure yet. Yeah. Uh, any more questions? Yes, please. Uh, no, it's 12. Uh, we've already had a word about casting that thing on and whether you could cast yourselves, but that series featured a lot of superb character actors like Dan Elliott and Ian Ogilvy. Mm. How much say do you have in casting the other parts in it? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think we... Oh. <laughs> yes. Um, he's probably the best question. Have you got a good answer, Mike? No, his head. Uh, well, I think that part of the way of looking at Ripping Arms was to try and cast actors rather than just comedians in it, so it would have that sort of proper drama flavour. And I think uh, I, um, people like Denim Elliott, I'd work with Denim Elliott, I thought he was just brilliant. Um, the, the, uh, other, the other members of the cast are probably light entertainment casting would have said, well, some of the smaller parts, we've got somebody. Um, but we tried, we certainly tried to become involved in all the casting. It's very, very important. And I remember trying to get Sir Ralph Richardson to play a part in, in um, <clears throat> Roger of the Raj. You remember that with, um, I think, Richard Vernon did in the end and Jones, uh, Jones Sanderson. Anyway, and... Um, the BBC couldn't believe, you know. I said, well, just could we go and ask him. And we, um, I went round, took a script round, and he, we were at the BBC, and, and I remember just sort of planning about what they might have for lunch on set and all that sort of thing. Suddenly the phone went in the office, and I said, it's Ralph Richardson for you! <laughs> they all went, ooh! And, that, yeah. and he was very nice about it, but he, he was unfortunately wanted to bring his wife on all the filming and the BBC couldn't afford it. <laughs> Bring someone else's wife, yeah. So, so we, um, we didn't get uh, Sir Ralph, but we did get Richard Vernon, and I thought they, they were just wonderful in Roger the Yeah, and Ogilvy, you oh, mentioned yeah. that, and that. He was the perfect school bully. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Really yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. You had uh, Roy Kinnear in the uh, Prisoner of War one as well. Yes, yeah, 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 Roy Kinnear. 
And the other day, I was at an event, and this guy, Timothy Carlton, came up to me, very good actor, and he was in the back of the truck in Stalag Luft, one of these people. I was trying to get him, persuade everyone to escape, and I was a complete man. Oh, he comes again. He's going to get us to escape. Oh, God. Um, and, um, and we were talking about it, and, and I said, what are you doing? And he's doing various things, but, of course, his son is yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> uh, so he's obviously can retire. He plays Sherlock's dad in the actual show. Yeah, uh, yes. Uh, Wanda Bentham is his real yes, mum. plays of course, his that's mom, right. So. Yeah, yeah. It's his pension for life now. Sherlock's yeah. father. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you mentioned Ralph Richardson. He did do Terry Gilliam's Time Bandits. Yes, he, he played the sort of God character. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yes. Bigger budget than the BBC had. Yeah, yeah. And he didn't, have, he didn't bring his wife. That was, that's, why got, that's why he got the part. And if more actors realise that, they get these plum parts, you know, they don't, don't bring the wife. Go and see her afterwards, put her up in the hotel, but don't bring her along on set. Okay, any more questions? We've got about ten minutes, so yeah. Middle, middle, yeah, middle row, yeah. Uh, the Holy Grail is one of my favourite films. And one of my favourite scenes in the film is the Holy Hand Grenade of Antioch. <laughs> Can you tell me who wrote that? Um, I've got a feeling it was Eric, wasn't it? I think Eric might have written it. I'm honestly not quite sure. Did we write it? Well, we wrote it. We wrote it. Yes, we wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> Sod Eric. It may be his birthday, but uh, we'll not give him that present. Did we write it? Yes. I. I'm. Good question. But I mean, this is yeah. the thing. I honestly can't remember certain things. We. We obviously remember we wrote. Yeah. But um, not not a lot did, of did others. It, didn't matter at the time. Did you do? I mean, you only got a finite amount of time in a TV show or a film. Did you fight for certain sketches that you'd written you two against John and Graham, for example? Yeah, I mean, you did. You yeah. put up as big a fight as you could. But basically, I mean, if it wasn't if people hadn't laughed, it was quite hard to make it work again. Although I do remember. And Terry probably bear me out on this, because I, I used to read them out, the ones that Terry and I had written, and, and came to Mr. Creosote, and I read it out, and it didn't really go very well, and I went, ooh, and all that. And then a few weeks later, I think you read it, and uh, everyone no, fell but, about. Uh, John rang me up. <laughs> oh, that's right. I will tell the story. It's a good story. John rang me up, um, and he said, oh, you know that uh, sketch you wrote about Mr. Creosote? And uh, he said, I think it's quite funny. Um, but I... I think he uh, spotted the uh, waiter that, oh, yeah. that was funnier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but oh, that's how it, that's how it was. Yeah. He rang up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there you go. That was one that was relegated, and suddenly came up one one of the classics. And I, I think it's probably the, the the most polished of all the Python films. I mean, there's a, there's a good budget, and, and Terry directed it superbly. But it, it goes back to doing sketches rather than a. A narrative yeah. film, doesn't yeah, it? Do, do, yeah. do you think it, it, Python, as a as a entity, works better in three or four minute bursts? Oh, I think that we were a sketch show all the way through. I think mm. Holy Grail was a sketch show. Um, Brian was a sort of sketch show. It's a lot of sketches, but they're both given us a sort of narrative structure, slightly specious narrative structure, either by the Bible story or by you know, the story of searching for the grail. But I think it, I, I, I don't, I think we always were a kind of oh, a sketch, sketch outfit. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And another question. Oh, yes, lady in the front. Um, there are so many multiplayer fans all over the world and old people and young people and everybody loves the show. And what do you think it's, uh, is the magic that kind of makes people still love it and watch it all over again? Well, you tell me. <laughs> you know, I mean, seriously, it's very hard to, yeah. to know. I, I mean, 
Well, we got any theories, Tom? Yeah, no, I've not got no theories <laughs> at all. I, mean, I think that's because it's fairly... It's not particularly topical. A lot of the humour is... is and it, you know, a lot of the humour can be... It's very visual. Um, and it's... It sort of, I, I think there's a kind of... I don't know. It's the thing I say about Python. There's quite a joyfulness about it. You watch a half hour, and at the end of it, you feel quite happy. Mm. I mean, people say, oh, Python's very biting and satirical and nasty. You know, not, that's not really the impression you get at the end of a good show. It's just very silly things have happened. And I think people like to see that, and that's, a, that's fairly universal. I um, mean, again, without looking too deeply, but you do attack uh, authority figures like mothers and police and uh, that sort of thing. I suppose that's quite mm. a, a, a childlike... You, you, well, you know, we attack. Are we afraid to attack? I mean, send yeah. up then, send up. I mean, you know, it's it's yeah. it's a sort of, it's a sort of like a child mentality that that you can you can you can bait authority figures. Is that part of it? You think? Maybe? Well, it certainly was the. I can remember being very impressed that the, the shows um, went very very well in Yugoslavia. That was the first place outside English speaking countries, and you talk to people in now in the ex Yugoslav countries and, and their feeling was that at the time they were allowed to kind of have access to the show. Tito wasn't sort of stopping them having access but at the same time there was a very, very sort of um, suppressive regime in most things but it meant that by watching Python that was a sort of badge of, of honour to show what you're doing. You laugh at that, you're laughing at them. They might not, they might not see it but you know if you're laughing at Python sketch you're laughing at their sort of, uh, you know, regime. So I think there was a bit there. And, and you've, you've done, obviously, film festivals around the world, Terry, and, and Michael, you've travelled a fair bit too. Not as far as Terry. <laughs> do, do, do you get stopped in, in, in strange and wonderful places and, you know, get quoted at from Python? Oh, no. <laughs> you should try harder at oh, that. I Come do. on, look. Are you, I mean, no, I yeah. do. No, I didn't. I just... Yeah. Uh, you do find odd... Moments. There was, uh, um, oh, I can remember when we started uh, Full Circle, which was my journey around the Pacific, and we started this tiny island called Little Diomede, which is about as far from anywhere as you can get. I mean, it's, it's right up in the Bering Strait um, between Alaska and, and uh, Far Eastern Soviet, uh, Far Eastern Russia. And that's where we started. There's just a few families living on the island of Inuit. And they were very kindly let us land there and do the piece to camera. And then also then they provided a little boat for me to go back on. And as we walked down the hill um, of this, this volcanic island in the middle of nowhere, and, and I kept noticing that three of the senior Inuit were kind of eyeing me and kind of looking. And when I turned around, they sort of smiled. And I turned around. I mean, this happened about three or four times. Eventually, I was just about to set foot on this sealskin boat. Um, and one of them came across and said, Hey, aren't you the guy from Monty Python and the Holy Grail? <laughs> They'd seen it on television the night before, you know, beam, beamed out from Alaska. I've never been so bold over in my life. <laughs> yeah, we thought it was shit. <laughs> <laughs> Any more questions? I'm sure there are. Yes, right back right there. Oh, there's two of you. Uh, gentlemen, by the wall, please. Um, just hearing about your collection of uh, 78 musical albums, do you, do you still have them? And how, how much do you think it's influenced your comedy, the musical? Um, no, I don't have them. <laughs> um, I've, uh, I left, uh, left them behind when I 
separated m from my wife. Um, oh, you should have hung on to that. Don't bring that up. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Very bad. Um, yeah, the Ron Franco's stuff is. Um, well, I'm going to plug another thing we're doing because I'm doing a I'm doing a crowdfunding book at the moment called The Forgotten Heroes of Comedy uh, with Unbound and, and Terry and I are writing that and um, it covers all oh. these people. This is the whole inspiration for this thing. We I was around Terry's house many years ago, about 1999, 2000, I think, and used to have back in the old house that floor standing <coughs> 78 player. Yeah. And in between playing Elvis and Gene Vincent, you played a Ronald Franco. And I knew who he was because my dad was a big fan of Ronald Franco. And that was, I think you said, yeah. well, we should write a book called Forgotten Heroes of Comedy. So yeah. 15 <laughs> years on, I'm still trying to write it. Yeah. But, um, so go to Unbound and give me your money. John Cleese. Okay. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Any more questions out there? Yeah. Yes, next to the person you just asked. Uh, this is for uh, Jones and Palin. What are well, we've got the right two. <laughs> right. What are your collective memories and those of the other Pythons of doing the German programs? Monty Python's Flea. Oh, oh, yeah, gosh, well, <laughs> we where to start? First uh, of all, we did it in German and we parroted uh, off the German. Uh, as, um, uh, um, Parodied off the German translations. Um, translations. Mm. Um, no, no, in, translated in German. So. Um, well, you, so spoke, you spoke German, basically. Yeah, yeah, we spoke yeah, we German. Had to, yeah. Well, we didn't speak German. That was the problem. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember I had to start with a sketch about Dürer, and it was the 400th anniversary of Dürer's birth or death, and. Um, and we'd written this sketch, and as I said, we'd written them all in English and then had to be translated. And they had all these experts talking about Dürer, <laughs> we had. And the first one was an Australian who would say, you know, I know about as much about Dürer as I know about the inside of a kangaroo's bum. You know, we <laughs> thought this was very funny. Um, but in German, I had to do that on the very first day there. And there was this sort of... We were in the Alps, and there's a guy holding up a big idiot board. You know, in German, I have to say, Weiss über Dürer, genoss so viel über das Rechtum, das anderes Beuteltiere. And that was it, you know, which is so I know now what to say when, you know, I'm with German friends, you know, Weiss über Dürer, genoss so viel über das Rechtum, das anderes Beuteltiere. <laughs> and there were many other Another one, wonderful which moments. was English, wasn't it? In, in so, yeah. English, yeah. We did it in English and uh, the subtitled. Yeah. Peter, did you enjoy learning the German? No. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't either. I had to learn Lumberjack song. It took me, and you know, every night. And we were in this wonderful place, weren't we? In um, yeah. the mountain, Neuschwanstein yeah. Castle, yeah, built on top of a peak. It was just incredible. And every day I would wander through the grounds trying to learn this song. It just didn't, I couldn't retain it until the last day, fortunately. Um, you know, I managed to keep it there. Now I can't get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it used to be back in the early Python live shows that Eric did it on stage, didn't he? <coughs> was, was um, yeah, that was, that, that, I think that was because of the various sketches and who had to get ready for a certain sketch and all that. You mentioned George um, House and he produced... The record, didn't he? He, he did yeah, produce a version of Lumberjack's Very song. exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they went to his, his studio and, and, and we did this sort of 94 track recording of it. Didn't really make it any better. Because I basically was not very, I was always rather nervous about singing it. Um, because when I was young, I was told by the music teacher at school that I was a non singer. 
Yeah, horrible man. And uh, so I've always thought, well, I'm, I'm not, there are singers and non-singers, and, and I'm a non-singer. I'm given this song to sing, you know, George Harrison producing it. So I thought he'd make enough noise, ambient noise, with sitars and all that sort of stuff. You wouldn't hear me, but um, he didn't really. I think for non-singers, though, that's pretty impressive to be produced by George Harrison. Well, that is, yeah. But, but well, the good thing was, actually, I did get to play it at the... I did have to sing it at the Royal Albert Hall for the concert for George. Yeah. That, that was, I thought, if I can sing full-throated, you know, three verses of Lumberjack song at the Royal Albert Hall live, then, you know, I deserve to have my non-singing reconsidered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any more questions? Yes, gentlemen. Uh, going back to uh, Life of Brian, uh, when you were writing it and when you were making it, were you expecting the backlash from like the Catholic Church, which I understand happened? Were, were you expecting it? Were you surprised when you? Uh, <coughs> the uh, the uh, the Jewish rabbis um, uh, uh, was a backlash. It's so. Sort of well, it was an ecumenical backlash. We yeah. got everybody angry. <laughs> we you know, got them all together, yeah. Were we expecting it, Tal? Uh, well, we... I suppose. <laughs> I think he means yes. Um, <laughs> the, um, he had the headshawl of the... Um, John Cleese had the headshawl oh, yeah. of the... Uh, oh, and the, the Jewish rabbi. Jewish there. rabbi, yeah. yeah. And so they said that was... Oh, I, that's very good. I'd forgotten yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah that's why yeah. they had to go. Yeah. yeah. My, yeah. My, my RE teacher, mm. Mr Hay, actually campaigned outside the Bainstoke Odeon when I was a child, saying mm. this film should be burnt and oh, really? show for anybody. Yeah. Wow. So, so you, you made us laugh. Because yeah. yeah. we couldn't get into it because we were too young, you see. But the yeah. fact he, he was almost arrested, pulled away from the cinema, trying to ban your film. So that was, you know, it was uh, just as well he was teaching PE and <laughs> so slightly more intellectual. <laughs> Any more questions? I'll play the, the last two or three, if you can think of them. Yes, uh, gentlemen. Just moving on from that last thought, is it true that that... Um, the Tim Rice debate between you and Malcolm Muggeridge and John Cleese mm. and the Bishop. Is it true that that's the only footage that exists of Michael Palin looking angry? <laughs> <laughs> Until I now. I think so, yeah. I, yeah. I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably, probably. That certainly was, yes, I, was, uh, I mean, that was genuinely, uh, I was apoplectic. I didn't look it, but I was, was very angry. And John was most impressed. <laughs> you guys are getting that angry. But uh, we, we, you know, in the situation, it was so. Uh, I, I wasn't really angry. I was just so bitterly frustrated that they completely failed to engage with the film. They just said it, called it a tenth-rate film and all that. And they thought this would be good, and they could appeal to the audience and say thirty th things like, "You get thirty pieces of silver." Yeah, you know, and this is the way they dealt with it. I think that was it. I was just breathlessly kind of uh, amazed that that was the level of their of their debate. We just weren't expecting that. We were expecting quite a grilling. Uh, but they came in after 50 minutes yeah, of yeah. the film uh, was shown. Yeah. I mean, and uh, I can't remember. So they missed the, the, the Jesus bit at the start? Well, they missed the two moments where Jesus appears, yeah. Mm. Mm. And that, that's, <laughs> that, why, why was it you and John picked particularly to do that debate? Was it, did you discuss in the group about who would go on or? I don't know, really, no, oh. probably just available. Yeah. That day. Angry. Yeah, yeah. 
they probably uh, thought I'd be very nice. And and it, it forms part of the, the 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 film they made a few years ago called uh, um, uh, Holy Circus, Holy so Flying Holy, Circus, which which basically um, uh, you are played by other actors. Is that a bit odd to be played by somebody else? <laughs> yes. Um, well, the person who played me was drag. <laughs> drag, yeah. So. Um, uh, Very complicated. Yeah. You were Rufus Jones. No, no relation. You, you, Rufus Jones. Yeah. Played, and you were my wife. Or something yeah, for some yeah, reason. yeah. Very strange. Yeah. I was played in that by I can't Charles Edwards. Oh yes, he's very, very nice. He's very chap. famous now. He's famous. Yeah. No, he's famous despite doing that. He's become, <laughs> become famous. And funnily enough, we um, went to see him in uh, the King's Speech. He was, did a, a stage version of the King's Speech. Very, very good in it. And it was, it was extremely good on stage. Anyway, afterwards, just took, went out for a meal. So it was him and me and my, my wife in the middle. And she said, it really was uncanny because it wasn't just his voice, but certain little gestures that were the same, kind of like he's my young, long-lost son. Um, he's not, um, is he? No, oof, don't think so. I would have remembered. No, because I mean, Rufus Jones played G, so there could be a, yes. a connection there. That's it, there. Yes. I mean, it's yeah. quite terrifying, really. Mm. But, um, yeah. but yeah, he looks more like Terry in drag than Terry in drag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. quite terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Any more questions? We're down to the last two, I think, but let's try and squeeze them out. Uh, Personal right at the back there. Um, what was the last sketch show you watched on TV and enjoyed? Or didn't enjoy. <laughs> oh, the last sketch show, that's very good. Um, <laughs> name me some. <laughs> I mean, I actually enjoyed the fast show. I know that's a while, a while ago now, but I thought that was great. You heard it here first. Yeah. I don't have a television. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, well. What do you watch then? The, the sort of sofa? <laughs> You've got to watch something, Terry. You can't sit there and not watch something. <laughs> You've got a screen. You, yeah. can, you can actually watch things, oh, yes, but, yes, not, but yes, not live television. Terry does. Yes, you can watch whole films at Terry's. It's very good. It's a cinema. Without That's commercial breaks. It's um, very exciting. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember a, a sketch show I saw recently. I mean, probably... Well, it's that there. Point made, really. I mean, in a weird sort of way, there though. But, uh, uh, the, the, you mentioned the goons. The, the goons is a sort of sketch show. It's with recurring characters. Like Itmar was a sketch show going yeah. back to the forties. I always see comedy in terms of a relay race. So you, you must have, you know, legendary people like David Walliams and Matt Lucas mm. and the Digger Gentleman and those guys who who were brought up on your stuff. Is is, is that a lovely feeling to have that you've you've passed on some comedy knowledge to people? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, well... Sort that, of. That's, that's <laughs> or great. do you not care? No, I, I, no it's, it's great. It, it's, I think all it shows is that we perhaps got it right in the beginning. And how we got it right, I'm not quite sure. Where all our ideas came from, how much was due to the group itself, how much due to the fact we were young and it was television was sort of, you know, changing the world at that time. I, I don't know, but it clearly it's there. And the fact that people like David Williams and others uh, regard Python with uh, uh, such an influence, then that's great. Uh, they do good work. Uh, we've helped in some way. I don't know quite how we've done it, but we have. And I'd obviously you'd rather be remembered than forgotten. Mm. One last question, and make it a good one, please. Yes, gentlemen by the wall. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask if you still have sort of uh, comic sketch ideas that you might discuss with Terry, or do you just not think in that way anymore? Or, or I'm afraid I don't no. know your, your yeah, work that you've been well, working on. 
I still, yes, I still have things I think that would be funny. I'm trying to think of one now. <laughs> no, no, no pressure, no pressure. But I do, you know, you just see sort of certain situations or you hear the way people speak or... Well, I mean, the world hasn't changed that much. The politicians are very much the same. The army generals sound the same and all that sort of thing. Um, I mean, watching the news, do you, do you think that's, that's... There's a Python sketch there. There's something funny that, that you can mould out of something or just walking down the street and something hits you. Well, <laughs> Literally, it's just... An it, idea, I mean. Yeah, I know. I mean, the news is something like, it's a po-faced, we, we use lots of newsreaders on Python because it's a very po-faced format. There's someone there telling you what has happened today in that voice. They're not getting too excited, they're not getting too excited, they're just telling you like, so in the background, it's all the other things that go on, you know. I remember uh, the thing about storage jars we did in Python, you know, with a very keen reporter telling you about what's going on with storage, storage jars. jars. <laughs> in the background, there was this huge battle for a city going on. And all that. So you were just talking about storage jars and the different sizes you could get from all that. <laughs> so I kind of think, oh, yeah, sometimes I think look at Hugh Edwards or that. And to bring it full one. circle, you, we had uh, Colin Gordon doing the, uh, the show yes. earlier today. And, yeah. and, and you went back to the show a year or two ago to, to film some of the missing links, didn't you? I mean, yeah. did, did yeah. you feel Colin Gordon did a a good job, or, or was he was he sort of acting the part? No, I think he was uh, too severe. I think, yeah, I think he was. I, I slightly disagree with Terry for the first time in my life. That <laughs> I think he was seeing him again, and even Roddy Moore Droxby, I thought, was, I didn't remember at the time thinking it didn't quite work. I thought they seemed to work with the audience here today, so there's something there. Mm. Maybe I've, I've mellowed, but uh, I thought it was fine. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I mean I, I mean, I think it was Terry quite a few years ago now, 10, 12, 12 years ago, where, where you said they would have worked better if, if say, John Cleese had, had played the newsreader or mm. the, the announcer and, and maybe Graham Chapman had played the historian. You can sort mm. of see that in Embryo, can't you? Mm. But, but I think it works really well so uh, yeah. and good audience reaction too so, mm. Uh, mm. so anyway I agree with the question thank you for that that you should write more comedy together mm. um, you've got a half hour cab journey back to North London so <laughs> I want to script by tomorrow morning boys please okay <laughs> yes. All right. on my desk please, please, please thank Terry Jones and Michael Bailey thank you thank you thank you thank you for listening this podcast was recorded live in front of an audience at the Museum of Comedy, Bloomsbury, London. Museumofcomedy.com. <laughs>